You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Born, The Finding, by Jeff Vandermeer. I found it because I had to, on the flank of shudder-sleeping Maud, one leg larger than my entire home, within that brown-furred jungle, mottled and stinking of carrion and chemicals and whatever small creatures had hidden themselves there. Maud had levelled a soft building when he'd fallen to his slumber, and the goopy pieces mashed out to the sides of him, giving new identity as half-cocoon. I found the thing because I had to take the risk. To eat. To survive. Even sleeping, Maud rose higher than three stories, had fangs and claws that could eviscerate quick as thought, his eyes vast, fly-encrusted beacons of self-loathing, and a mind that worked on vast cosmic scales. But at his flanks, all he meant to me was food. When Maud wandered out as seether from his lair in the basement of the company, all manner of food, tantalising and ghastly, became entangled in that ropey, dirt-bathed fur, some of it coming free during his shambling walk. As he destroyed and reimagined the city for his own unknowable reasons, so too he replenished it in his thoughtless way. Sometimes he bequeathed to us only the corpses of unrecognizable animals, their skulls burst of an internal pressure, their eyes bright and bulging. Sometimes we found the beetles you could put in your ears, and within the explosion of mint or lime or orange that manifested on the tongue, there would form visions of places I hoped did not exist, had never existed. It would be too cruel to live in this city, knowing that sanctuary was real. Sometimes, though, it was just packets of anonymous meat, surplus from the company's bowels. You never knew, and this is why Maud had a following, a posse, a ragged, flinching train of the desperate and the dying. Many times Maud would turn, and turning, all unknowing, or yes, with malice, relieve one of us of our lives. But you never knew, and so you followed, head down in simulated genuflection, hoping Maud would provide for you. None of us knew why the company hadn't tried to destroy Maud while it still could, but there was little chance of that now. Perhaps he still worked for them in the same way as a tsunami works for the ocean. By now, Maud had also learned to levitate through some intense and coiled concentration of his mind, and many an explorer or scavenger daring to climb up that flank after Maud had, in a formless rage, destroyed a city block or cornered and devoured some of us, soon only a mist of the foulest breath imaginable, 
Many an explorer would find themselves lifted up and then, unable to hold on, fall to their deaths. Maud unawares as he glided like a boulder over his dominion, his hunting preserve, this nightmare of a city that has no name. For these reasons, I did not do much more than seek along Seether's flank. Seething fever, maud, snoring and palsying in sleep, a psychotic dream song for the city, his eyes wide and yellow-black and pitted as meteors or the cracked domes of dead observatories, his massive head well to the west of me, and me alone because he'd fallen numb only a few minutes before, the other scavengers using me as a canary to see if more truly slept or had concocted a kind of ruse in the spiralled toxic refuse dump of his mind. Nothing so simple, though. And so my hunger drove me, and I found it, this thing that was not food and yet drew me to it. Entangled in the brown, coarse seaweed of pelt, near a curled claw larger than my body, I found the sea anemone. At least that is what it looked like to me. A dark, purple, faintly glowing, half-closed sea anemone. Captured like a clot of dirt. I could smell the sea salt on it as soon as I saw it. For a moment there was no city, no daily search for food and water, no roving gangs of killers and escaped, altered creatures of unknown origin and intent. No mutilated bodies dangling from broken street lamps, burned beyond remembering their names. No buckled concrete of abandoned overpasses, fallen tiredly to earth. Cracks now filled with huddled green and blue communities of things almost conscious, almost not. For a moment I looked forward into the perfect past, the dead present and, worse, future behind me. For a moment, just a moment, the thing was a sea anemone from the tidal pools of my youth. I could smell the salt and feel the wind, knew the chill of water on my feet, and then the long, exhilarating hunt for seashells, and the gruff sound of my father's voice, the lilt of my mother's, the honey warmth of the sand as I squinted to look at the horizon, and the crisp white sails of ships, the sun above the carious yellow of one of Maud's eyes. Then, just as quickly, the thing in front of me was just an opportunity again for food, for trade, for survival. It lay there softly humming to itself, the half-close aperture on top like a constantly dilating mouth, the spirals of the flesh contracting, expanding. The closer I got to it, my balance precarious as Maud's flesh swayed from his breathing, the more it resembled a hybrid of sea anemone and sea urchin, with the coloration of a squid. A sleek vase about the size of my fist, whose rippling colours strayed always towards sea greens and deep blues.
It didn't really look like food, but I'd been fooled before, so I picked it up anyway. It had four subtle ridges, spaced equidistant and vertical along its warm and pulsing skin. The texture was smooth as water, as water-worn stone. The texture was smooth as water-worn stone, but both less and more fragile than stone. It smelled of seagrass and lazy summer afternoons, and also, faintly, of honeysuckle. Later, I came to realize it might have smelled differently to someone else, evoked a whole separate set of responses. I did not know what it was. I had never seen anything like it before. Around me, Maud's body rose and fell with the tremors of his breathing, while the other scavengers, emboldened, now advanced through his dirty, his holy fur. I hid my find under my cloak so the others, fast approaching, could not see it. It lay there, beating against my chest like a second heart. Somehow, I hoped that this thing would be my salvation, no matter how strange that may sound to you. Somehow, I thought it might bring back the perfect past. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>